Hello, my truth-seeking mates. Thank you so much for being here today. I am very grateful that you're still listening to me. And this is Julissa Mena um, today with another topic that we're going to talk about, which has um, to do a lot with biblical evidence, um, and it's specific to archaeology. Um, the only thing that I'm going to uh, honestly confess before we move on to this topic is that I know very little about it. Um, so please don't try to use me as an expert reference, <laughs> not that anybody will, but I am very, I have very little knowledge about this, but I thought that I should share the little bit of knowledge that I do have about this topic, just because I find that a lot of people are not aware of the, um, well, a lot of people in my community are not, are not aware of the archaeological evidence that exists for for the Bible that supports what the Bible says. So we're going to go ahead and get started on that topic. I have two points I want to make before I get into them, and then I'm going to get into four archaeological finds that have really uh, made a difference in the uh, confidence of Christianity, veracity of Christianity, and of the Bible, of course. So I First, before we do that, I want to get into, I want to kind of use an analogy that Joel, um, Joel Kramer uses. And for those of you who don't know who Joel Kramer is, he is a, a he's an, arch, an archaeologist, a very well-known archaeologist among the Christian community. He has a biblical perspective on archaeology, and he is the writer of several books, um, most recently, his Where God Came Down book. Um, and in this book, you're going to find a an analogy, which is the one I'm going to be using because I just really, really loved it. And basically, this analogy says um, that, well, before I get into that, just let me mention this. Um, in archaeology, just like in science, the vast majority of professionals who perform this um, skill or profession are seculars or secularists or people with a secular worldview. Very few are biblical archaeologists. Um, so I just want to point that out so that you guys can understand why it is that we don't hear a lot about biblical archaeology, and it probably has to do with the fact that there aren't many to start off with. And of those who that who do uh, participate in biblical archaeology, not a lot of them write about what they find and what their interpretation is of this evidence. So um, we are very thankful for Joel Kramer, who does care and does write and does share and knows enough to share about the evidence that he has found in, this, in the several different excavations that he has participated in. And again, I know very little about this subject. Um, what I do know is what I'm going to share today. So there is this beautiful analogy in the book, and I just really love it because it talks about that um, archaeology is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, puzzle. Like if you were to find a 500-piece puzzle, um, and then he says, if you had a 500 piece puzzle, but say you only found three of those pieces and basically if the, you all you have are you don't have the puzzle box, you don't have the other pieces. All you have is those three pieces, those three pieces of that puzzle. 
And he says, basically, those three pieces is your evidence, are your evidence. And the picture in front of the box is basically your worldview, your perspective, or how how someone's, what the perspective someone's going to use to interpret the evidence, basically. So if you have a secular perspective, a secular worldview, you're going to interpret these three puzzles or pieces um, in, in that way. And if you are a Christian, uh, someone who believes the Bible is true, your worldview is different. So you're going to interpret these same three pieces in a completely different way because you're both looking at different um, images in front of the box. The secularist is going to be looking at a different picture of that box and a Christian is going to be looking at a different picture of that box and they're going to be trying to put those pieces together in a different way. So basically you can't interpret these three pieces because if you only found these three pieces of the puzzle, you really wouldn't know what they're a picture of or where to put them until you found that um, picture in front of the box. Uh, so until you don't find the box, you're not going to be able to figure out what those three pieces mean for that puzzle specifically. So in that same sense, um, an archaeologist cannot interpret the data without having some kind of worldview that is guiding them to interpret such pieces. So that's why you can have different archaeologists say different things about the same artifacts because they all have a different interpretation of these pieces based on whatever their wor worldview is. So basically without the picture we don't have a map. Without the picture we don't know how interpret to interpret pieces. Without the picture you don't know where to put them, where to place them what they represent, what they're a picture of, or where they go. So I wanted to point that out to make sure that everyone's aware that whenever we find, uh, whenever evidence is found of any type, whether it's scientific or, or from archaeology or whatever it is, that the pieces don't speak for themselves. They have to be interpreted by someone and whoever that someone is already has a worldview that is affecting their interpretation of the data. So I wanted to make sure I put that out there. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is that only about 5% of the earth has been excavated. This is extremely important because let's say that up until this point in 2021, there have been no archaeological finds that support the Bible or no artifacts whatsoever that show us that anything in the Bible um, is that, that basically nothing in the Bible is mentioned in any of these artifacts or whatever. Even if that was the case, because we have so much other evidence that supports that what the Bible says is true, it wouldn't be enough to simply disregard or to simply um, get rid of the Bible because or to think that the Bible is myth is a myth somehow simply because we don't find archaeology that supports what the Bible says. Because again, if only 5% of the earth has been excavated, that's not nearly enough to just simply say the Bible is not true. 
especially because of all the other evidence that we do have that supports what the Bible says and that tells us that it, that it is true. So those are the two points that I kind of wanted to get out of the, the way before I got into the four archaeological finds that have been a huge game changer for the confidence of Christianity. And with that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into what these four things are. So the first example that I wanted to talk about was Jericho. So basically, um, the reason we know why Jericho is Jericho even is because of the Bible. So Jericho is the place that every archaeologist uh, every archaeologist who's anybody agrees that it is Jericho. Now, this is huge. This is a big deal because archaeologists don't agree on a lot. Like archaeologists have a lot of disagreements about the interpretation of almost all evidence that they find because, again, their worldviews, their perspectives on the history um, that uh, of, of history period is completely different. Well, I don't want to say it's completely different among each other, but they all disagree on some level um, about what happened in history. Um, and so based on that and because of that, then this leads them to disagree on a lot of the interpretations for evidence that in artifacts or any other things that they may find wherever they go and excavate. So this is why it's such a big deal that almost everyone agrees that the walls of Jericho, um, that, that Jericho um, is Jericho basically. And they agree on this because there is evidence uh, at this place that the walls of Jericho collapsed. And this is something that the evidence shows that this place's walls have collapsed, which is found in Joshua 6, where we know that um, Israel um, went around the walls of Jericho, um, I think it was a total of 13 times. And in that, God uh, made the walls collapse. So everyone agrees that the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the other thing they agree on is that before it was an Israelite city, it was a Canaanite city. Um, so it's important to notice that as well, because we know through the Bible that uh, Jericho uh, ended up being an Israelite city. And before it was an Israelite city, it was a Canaanite um, city. So basically what is known about Jericho in light of uh, what is known about Jericho, what has been discovered in Jericho, everything that has helped figure out what that Jericho is Jericho, it has all been in light of what the Bible, the information that the Bible has provided to archaeologists. So it's a big deal to understand that um, 
the fact that so many archaeologists archaeologists agree that this is Jericho is huge. So that's the first thing. The other thing is that Kathleen um, Kenyon, whom is actually dead now, and I actually talked about her in my Spanish podcast as if she's still alive because I actually forgot that she was already um, and dead again because I know so little about this. The information that I do know, it kind of fades and kind of I have a trouble like just ordering it in my brain. But Kathleen Kenyon, so basically she was an archaeologist and she said that there was a certain key to proving that this place was Jericho. And she was in complete disagreement. And she said that she did not agree that it was Jericho because there was no um, Cypriot, Cypriot pottery found. Cypriot is, I think, I can't remember. Um, I can't remember the name of the actual city, but basically um, Cypriot pottery was key to her for her, in her opinion, to prove that it was Jericho because there is no way that this place could be Jericho without finding any of this specific pottery she was looking for. Now, because she didn't find this pottery, she then concludes that it's not Jericho, at least not the Jericho from, um, from at least not the Jericho that the Bible says to be. And because of that, then she concludes that the Bible is not true. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about anybody else, but while it may be true that she's right, well, while it's a possibility that she is right about her interpretation. I think that we ought to consider the fact that she could be wrong. Now, notice how most and if not all archaeologists agree that this is Jericho, but that she disagreed on that simply because she didn't find this pottery she was looking for. Now let's go back to my first point that I had already made and it's the fact that such little of the earth has been excavated and just because she did not find any in the excavation area that she was in doesn't mean that we, she wouldn't find it um, if she kept digging. However, even if that's the case, it is a huge leap to go from there is no Cypriot pottery here. Therefore, this is not Jericho. And up until that point, I could maybe be in agreement with her. But then from there, she, she jumps from this is not Jericho to this is then the Bible isn't true. And <laughs> that's a huge leap to make. Okay, and this is in, in a huge part of why this is a, a horrible um, process of thinking is because, think about it, there's been so many times that secular archaeologists have disregarded certain information from the Bible simply because they have not found evidence for it. And then 
for many times for many of these things they disregarded and dismissed as myth, they end up finding something that proves them wrong. Now, do you think that they somehow changed their mind and said, oh, I guess the Bible is no longer a myth. I guess it's true. No, they didn't do that. As a matter of fact, um, they wouldn't dare be willing to do such a thing because, uh, I mean, first of all, I can only imagine the public humiliation of admitting, you know, I was wrong. The Bible is true. But the thing is that when someone doesn't want the truth, it doesn't matter how much evidence you provide them. It doesn't matter how much you let them see that the Bible, in fact, can be trusted. Um, When people don't want the truth, evidence is not the problem. The problem is something else, whether it's pride or fear of admitting that they're wrong or um, not wanting to admit they're sinners or not wanting to admit their need for a savior. I don't know. It can be a thousand things, but basically it can't be because of lack of evidence because there is plenty. They just simply don't want the Bible to be true. Okay. So that's your first one. The whole Jericho situation has always been, um, a, 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 a topic of discussion, uh, well, had always been before at a topic of discussion for Kathleen Kenyon because she was convinced that because she didn't find this pottery, it was not Jericho, at least not the Jericho mentioned in the Bible. So that's your first one. Then we're going to move on to our second archaeological find or discovery. And this is what is known as the Tel Dan inscription. I hope I'm saying that right. Tell Don inscription. I'm not sure. Um, you got to remember that a lot of these words are like um, Arabic and I just are or not, not Arabic, either Arabic or Hebrew or some of those languages that I definitely do not know how to properly pronounce. So anyway, my point is that this Tell Don inscription, Tell Dan inscription, I'm not sure how to say it, uh, a few decades, a few decades ago, a few decades, I want to see, let me see, like, let's talk about, I think maybe four decades ago. Don't quote me on that again. I know very little of this, but about four to five decades ago, people questioned whether David actually existed. People were not convinced. And as a matter of fact, Many started saying that King David was never a real person and that he was a myth simply because no archaeological evidence had been found that mentioned him. Now, this is important only because it's important that David um, was not found to be mentioned in any archaeological find only because David was a king. So, in their minds, it was kind of like, well, if David was a king, he would be mentioned somehow in all in one of these archaeological finds that we have found inscripted on or with text. But they had not found anything that mentioned such King David. So due to that, to the lack of that evidence, a lot of people or a lot of archaeologists, secular archaeologists, were starting to say that the Bible was not true and and blah, blah, blah. But uh, inscription was discovered on this Taldan 
um, known as Taldan inscription that actually had text on it that said House of David. And it dates back to the to 9th century BC. This is actually the earliest archaeological find that mentions King David. And they found in this place, they actually also found pottery that dated back to the 8th and 8th to 9th century, 9th century BC. So it was a huge discovery because it basically put to shame a lot of archaeologists who were saying that the Bible was a myth for talking that I'm sorry, that King David was a myth, that he never actually existed and that he was just some kind of character made up in the Bible. So this is a perfect for perfect example of why just because you don't find evidence to support something doesn't mean that it didn't happen, um, biblically speaking. So sorry about that. Yawn came out of nowhere. And so that was that one. And then in 1868, there is a stone tablet that is found. Okay. And this is the third uh, um, archaeological evidence that I'm going to be talking about today. Now, this stone tablet that was found, um, it was found as a well, one piece. It was like a, a, a nice, a nicely sized tablet with inscription. Um, and it had different, um, it had a, a large amount of text on it. So um, the tablet was broken up in pieces because the people basically who discovered it wanted to make more money off of it. So obviously, if you sell it as one piece, you're not going to make as much money if you like broke the thing into several pieces to make much more money. And they wanted to sell it. And so they broke it. But before they ended up breaking it in pieces, they were smart enough to actually take a picture of it. So um, they took a picture of it. And when they were studying the text and trying to figure out what it said, they figured out that the text uh, dates back to 9th century BC. And the text that they found said, I am Mesha, son of Chemosh. I think that's how you say it. I am Mesha, son of Chemosh, king of Moab. Now, this is pretty awesome because I don't know if you recognize the name King of Moab, but in 2 Kings 3, 4, you're going to find this very same king being referred to. And actually, you know what? I'm going to go and look for it. So 2 Kings 3, verse 4. And here it is. It says, King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. So there you have it. There is this historical figure in the Bible being mentioned and has been um, confirmed by this stone tablet that was discovered in 1868 that had the text, I am Mesha, son of Chemosh, king of Moab. So that would be the third evidence I wanted to talk about. And then, of course, there's my favorite, which is the very last one that I left for last. And I just 
absolutely love and this is my favorite is that this the, the the discovery of the dead sea scrolls i just i i just absolutely think that it's so beautiful to know how those manuscripts how those scrolls were able to provide evidence that the bible that we have today is so accurate to its originals and so accurate to what was found back then. And it really just has to leave little to no doubt that the Bible is accurate and that it says exactly what it's supposed to say. And it just testifies to the accuracy of the Bible translations that we have had. I also think that it speaks to the reverence and respect and just the amazing um, desire to the authenticity of the Bible and how genuine it is to its originals. I find it absolutely amazing that when they compared the Dead Sea Scrolls to the Bible we had at that time, that they were able to see just how accurate it has been copied. So that has to be my absolute favorite. And I think that for all the other three, um, it's kind of just more a, a, a form of awe to see how the Bible helps archaeologists figure out um, what they're looking at or what it means. And um, for the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think it was a huge turn in, as far as um, the accuracy of the Bible and how much we can trust it, its veracity and its authority. And then just leads us to believe how divine it also is. I think it's difficult to try to prove the Bible's authority and divinity through this kind of evidence but I do think that these kinds of evidences can definitely lead to com convincing someone that because of its accuracy and because of its veracity, veracity and historicity that it can lead someone to realize that it is also the ultimate authority and that it is indeed the divine word of God. I do want to encourage everyone to at least read a little bit about biblical archaeology. I don't think you need to become some kind of expert on it. I do know that God gives everyone, you know, their own thing to do in his kingdom. And Joel, um, Joel Kramer, definitely, his thing is definitely archaeology. But I just think that as Christians, we have at least a little bit of a responsibility to inform ourselves on how much archaeology is out there that really does support what the Bible says. And I do want to reiterate that I do not think that just because say there was no archaeological finds that support what the Bible says, that somehow that should make us question its authority or veracity. And I only can say, and I can say that only because um, the authority and uh, veracity of the Bible has already been um, confirmed and um, there is enough evidence other than archaeological that really helps us see 
its truthfulness and veracity and not having archaeological finds does not um, automatically lead us to have to say that the Bible is not true. So anyway, that was a little bit of rambling there at the end. I do want to emphasize that uh, and, and repeat that it is important for us to remember that the reason why we are not going to hear much about biblical archaeology being published somehow famously or, or um, say, um, on secular websites of some sort is because, again, there are so little archaeologists who are also Christians and believe in the authority of the Bible. So, don't expect that to happen. Of course, if it ever does happen, that'd be great. But we do have people who are Christian archaeologists who do share the information that they have learned and everything that they keep doing. Um, and Joel Kramer is one of them. He has the book that I mentioned before, When God Comes Down, or When God Came Down, When God Came Down by Joel Kramer, which came out, I think, this year, if not late last year. Um, that would be probably a good place to start when it comes to archaeological evidence. And again, I don't think anybody needs to become some kind of expert on this, but I do think that we need to be at least a little bit informed um, about that archaeology that has really transformed the way in which Christians see Christianity and the Bible. So with that, my truth-seeking mates, friends, and all who are listening, I am very grateful for you listening, and I continue to encourage you to please continue sharing my uh, podcast, and if you don't already, please follow me on Instagram at truthfullythink, truthfullythink, and on Twitter, truthfullythink, and for those of you who also like to um, listen, who are bilingual, who also listen to the Spanish uh, podcast, you can do that. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Verdaderamente P. Uh, Verdaderamente P <laughs> in Spanish. Um, so um, anyway, with that, guys, thank you so much. I've just been so appreciative of your support. Uh, my podcast has now been played for more uh, more than 200 times and I just cannot believe to me that's just huge even though for most people that's probably what they get in one day but for me that's just huge and I'm so grateful so thank you so much for listening and until next time. Mm-hmm.